This is Women of Grace Live, discussing issues important to your life and faith. Spiritual insight, practical wisdom. Join us as we transform the world one woman at a time. Women of Grace, for such a time as this. Now, here's your host, Johnette Williams. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Women of Grace Live. I am Johnette Williams. Very happy to be with you today. I certainly am. We do love spending this time with you Monday through Friday as we discuss issues of importance to your life and your faith. We love to use the airwaves for the honor and the glory of God, and we strive to do that every day, Monday through Friday, 24-7, and even on weekends right here on EWTN Radio brought to you by so many good affiliates and on so very many different streaming uh, platforms, as well as Sirius uh, XM Station 130. So we invite you to listen to us Monday through Friday uh, in whatever way is best for you to receive the word. (laughs) And I do hope that you're always open and ready to receive the word, the word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, He does want to regale us with his love and with his mercy. He wants to enter into our lives, into every aspect of them. And he wants to bring with him the redemptive grace that sets us free from all kinds of miseries, right? Uh, Physical, mental, emotional, psychological, spiritual. So I do hope that you are open to the word. Today, I want to remind you to get out to our website, womenofgrace.com. We've got all kinds of great things available for you there, all kinds of good resources to help you live that abundant life and to share it with others. In addition to that, we've always got something going on, and we have got a whole lot of activities and upcoming events that are listed for you there. I want for you to get out and take a look at that. Uh, I'm going to be in various locations throughout this month and next month and on through the year in In addition to that, we will be hosting lots of different events through Women of Grace. And so we invite you to join us whenever you possibly can. Obviously, uh, we're with you Monday through Friday here on the airwaves, uh, both television and radio. So we invite you to watch our television program. It airs at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. But, uh, you know, if you have an opportunity to be with us in person... I certainly do want to invite you to join us, Uh, get out there, see where we're going to be, and hopefully we'll have a chance to interact in person. Wouldn't that be lovely? I would really like that. I can tell you that. Also want to remind you about our Women of Grace Foundational Study. Uh, It goes on in so many different areas, in person as well as online. Uh, We generally have online events coming up if they're not in session. Uh, We do have one that is uh, going to be in session very soon. Again, out to the website, take a look at that. You will be able to join us. And I'm thinking that, uh, you know, there's there's no better way uh, for us to begin to allow the influence of the Holy Spirit to affect us than by digging deeply into our faith. And through our Women of Grace, beautiful, beautiful foundational study, we learn about the truths of the faith. But in addition to that, we learn about the truth of who we are as women. So I want to remind you that we're going to be having these beautiful opportunities for you. And we will be having uh, some of the in-person events throughout uh, these, these winter months on into the spring, uh, you can find out where they're taking place by going out to our website, womenofgrace.com. In the navigational bar there, you'll see study information. Simply click on that and it's going to, uh, you'll, it'll offer you opportunities there to find a study group or to register 
a study group if, in fact, you are leading one as a facilitator. If you haven't thought about facilitating, I want to invite you to think about facilitating. We would love to have you as a facilitator. So check it out right there at our website, womenofgrace.com. If there's not an in-person study going on in your area, maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you to be the one who initiates it. Uh, All you have to do is say yes. (laughs) He shows up. The Holy Spirit shows up when we give our fiat, just as he showed up uh, and and overshadowed our Blessed Lady. So you don't have anything to concern yourself with. And we show up too. We have all kinds of uh, beautiful women who will basically be there for you as you lead that group. Uh, They'll be there for guidance, assistance, to answer any questions that you might have. Uh, Just a a, a lovely way for us to dig deeply into the reality of our authentic femininity, uh, but also to help others to do the same thing. So get out there and check out our website. We certainly do invite you uh, to do that. I also want to remind you that we are relaunching our Benedicta Institute for Women And we are going to be holding one the week of April the 22nd through the 28th. It is going to be held at Our Lady of Florida Spiritual Center there in North Palm Beach, Florida. It's right on the water. It's going to be beautiful. Obviously, the uh, scenery and the setting is is gorgeous. But in addition to that, there's going to be wonderful things happening uh, as Dr. Donald Wallenfang takes us into the answer to the question, who is woman? The journey from Eve to Mary. So we invite you to join us for this beautiful week-long immersive uh, to discover the answer to that question as given to us through Dr. Wallenfang's own writings, but also through writings such as Gertrude von Lefort's, uh, Alice von Hildebrand's, Prudence Allen's, and above all, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, uh, whom we also know as Edith Stein. So it's going to be a lovely opportunity for you. Check it out. We certainly do invite you to do that. Well, today is one of the days that we are going to be dipping deeply into our mailbag. We're going to be pulling out uh, some of the questions that you've left for us uh, on the um, call-in number. We want for you to uh, stay tuned for that because perhaps your own question is going to be answered or maybe a question that you have that you've never thought to call in and ask about. It might provide uh, an opportunity for you to hear a little bit more about that particular uh, question and that particular answer. So we're going to be dipping into those bags today. But first, I do also want to talk a little bit about the fact that today is Martin Luther King Jr.'s day, right? This is a day that we celebrate his life. What a marvelous man he was, and he did so much for our culture. He did so much uh, for, uh, I think, the, the, the pricking of our conscience to understand the dignity that is inherent in all persons, each one of us created in the image and likeness of God. And he uh, obviously was, was a visionary. He was the one who uh, was a, a social activist leading the civil rights movement in the 60s, actually began it around all oh, the mid-50s. He was assassinated in 1968. I remember uh, those events very, very well. Uh, In addition to that, I I quite well remember the civil rights movement itself. Uh, It was a, a movement that was peaceful. It was a movement, however, that through the peaceful demonstration was able to move the minds and the hearts of an entire nation, and dare I say, the entire world. And so on this day, uh, we remember him. He was born on January the 15th in 1929. He died April the 4th in 1968, and he was a giant, a giant uh, in, 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 the, in terms of, of um, 
helping for us to develop a conscience that considers the dignity and honor that is due all persons. Uh, he was a giant in terms of, of bringing into our national perspective a way to move forward for desegregation. It was a, 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 an amazing time. He was an amazing leader, and we celebrate his life today. We're going to be right back after the break. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Women of Grace Live. I'm Johnette Williams. Very happy to be with you today. Prior to the break, we were talking about the fact that uh, today is the day that we celebrate the life and the work of Martin Luther King Jr., a giant uh, in terms of his stature and what he did for us as a nation in the 60s, actually beginning in the mid-50s, assassinated in 1968. Uh, As I was sharing with you, he was a man that pricked our national conscience helped us to perceive things differently. And whenever we are led to be able to see the value and the dignity in every human person, whenever we are led to consider how it is that we interact with others, whenever our conscience uh, uh, is is attuned to truth, then great things can happen. And Martin Luther King Jr. did all of that for us in the years of his life. He helped for us to reframe the way in which uh, we were moving forward in our social relationships with others of different races. And for that, we pay tribute to him on this day uh, that celebrates his life and his legacy. Uh, I think that uh, oftentimes today, uh, our young people are not aware of the history of this nation. I think that oftentimes our young people today uh, do not really have a perspective of, of how it is that we are where we are. Today, I think that we see a heightened need for the conscience to be pricked with regard to the dignity and the value of every human person from the moment of conception to natural death. We need to help our young people to be shaped and molded uh, after the fashion uh, that uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, shared with us. So I, I certainly do invite all of you uh, to consider that, uh, to see how it is that God would want to use you at this moment in time to be a purveyor of the truth of the value and dignity of every human person created in the image and likeness of God according to the plan that God has in mind for that human person. Uh, We're going to be taking these phone calls today that were left for us. I love these days. It gives me an opportunity to really dig a little bit more deeply into some of the questions, and we invite you to use our call-in line after 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, and you can leave your question or your comment there. If you say it's for Women of Grace, then it'll be segmented specifically for our program, and we'll be able to address it sometime in the future on a show just like today. Rich Jesse is our producer, and he's going to be pulling these up for me, so let's go to the very first one, Rich. Hello, my name is Barbara. And our parish priest makes available for us to receive communion under both species, uh, 
the bread and the cup, the precious blood. I have grown to love to go ahead and receive the cup, and I'm part of a women's prayer group, and it seems to be kind of divisive for some people to see us who receive the cup or women who are extraordinary ministers or tend to look down on that we're not supposed to receive under both forms, that that's father's job or something. But I was hoping that Janet could clarify a little bit what the church teaches and how are we supposed to see it as a devout way of receiving or should we pass the cup up? Thank you. Well, thank you very much for your question, and we do frequently get questions about reception of Holy Communion. Uh, we have been permitted to receive both the the the, the host, uh, the consecrated host, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, as well as partaking uh, of the precious blood from the chalice. Uh, I think it's uh, astonishing in some way that there would be some difficulty with uh, that in the minds of some of the women that you're referring to, uh, the only thing that I could think of that would cause that would be two things, maybe. Uh, uh, in the traditional uh, Mass, in the, uh, you know, the, the, the Mass that was celebrated prior to 1962, the cup was not offered to the people, just the host was. Uh, with the liturgical reforms that took place after the Second Vatican Council, the cup is now offered, uh, and it has the sanction of Rome. Therefore, I don't think anyone should really question the validity of doing that. Some may question the uh, the the uh, uh, sanitation of it, uh, especially in these post-COVID years. People were very concerned about passing germs, and it might well be that some have uh, an apprehension with regard to partaking of the precious blood for that reason. Uh, however, you know, it's interesting to me because if we believe that this is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, I, I don't think that we should concern ourselves so much with that. Uh, it's a personal opinion. No one is obligated to receive uh, under uh, both species. N no one is. So, Everyone can make their own mind up, but I think to judge others and to uh, have some uh, consternation when people choose to receive the precious blood is not, uh, is not charitable. So that would be my answer to you. I certainly do hope that that helps you. All right, Rich, let's go to the next one. I become a Catholic. Why attend Sunday Mass? And when do you pray to Jesus? And what is the difference between Jesus and God when praying? Thank you. Well, thank you. That's a whole lot of questions all packed into one. <laughs> so let's uh, let's tease these out a little bit. Let's let's uh, talk a little bit about why be Catholic. Well, and that's a good question. Why be Catholic? Well, I guess maybe the fundamental response to that is because the Catholic Church is the church that was founded by our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else uh, that we would term Christian is a derivation of that. It's a denomination. Now, if you think about what a denomination means in terms of mathematics, it means something that comes from something else. But when it comes from something else, it doesn't have the totality of it, right? So you could say that, you know, um, two is a denomination of six, right? Uh, but you're leaving, you know, three behind, right? Uh, you're leaving three twos behind, so or two twos behind, excuse me. And uh, so the fact of the matter is, 
um, you know, when the Protestant Reformation happened, the fullness of truth was not to be seen in Lutheranism. It's not to be seen in Calvinism, Presbyterianism. It's not to be seen in non-denominationalism. Uh, Methodism, it's not there. It's not the totality of truth. It's a denomination. It leaves a portion of the truth behind. So I would say that the number one reason is because this is the church that Jesus Christ founded, and the fullness of truth resides in her. In addition to that, the sacramental structure of our church is the way in which we receive sanctifying grace, first through baptism, uh, then uh, uh, through the, the, the strengthening reality of, of the sacrament of confirmation, and through the nourishment that comes by way of receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the, the consecrated host is not a symbol to us. Uh, Jesus didn't intend for it to be a symbol. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And by that, he means bringing the past to the present again, which is what the Jewish understanding of remembrance is. You see this in the Passover. So uh, we we have that. We have that benefit in our Catholic church. Uh, and so there is another reason uh, for you to be Catholic. Uh, so you know, we could go on and on about the great treasures that are in the church, you know, the the, the communion of saints, uh, uh, the, the the depth of, of the spiritual life that comes by way of the teachings of the church, um, expounded upon, lived, exampled for us, if you will, by so many of the saints. Uh, so all of those reasons, I think, stack up to um, what hopefully becomes a desire for the church. Now you say, well, why don't? what is the difference between the Mass and just praying to Jesus? Well, the Mass is what our Lord asked us to do at the Last Supper, to do this in remembrance of Him, to make Him present in time, body, blood, soul, and divinity, just as He was there at the Last Supper. The Mass is called liturgy. What is liturgy? Liturgy means the work. It's the work of the people. It is, it is an entry into Jesus Christ's offering of himself to the Father and also our participation in the offering of Jesus Christ to the Father. Is that different from prayer? No. The holy sacrifice of the Mass is the highest prayer. It is the greatest prayer that we have. Does that mean that other prayer is not necessary? No, it doesn't mean that either. All of us should have a regular time of prayer. Within the context of the Catholic Church, we have many devotional practices that help for us to enter more deeply into the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, more deeply into the mystery that we celebrate at Mass. Our, our spiritual lives should flow from the celebration of the Mass. And so we encourage uh, individuals to participate in the various devotions that are made available through our church, the, the prayer of the rosary, the litanies, the, the novenas, uh, the, the reading of sacred scripture in a holy fashion where it's not just reading for the information or reading to get to the end of the chapter or even to read the whole Bible, but rather an entry into the mysteries that are presented to us there. A thoughtful, prayerful reading. Uh, we call it Lexio Divina. It means holy reading. So that practice is deeply encouraged. Uh, the readings of uh, several of the saints, many of the saints, uh, also give us great instructional benefit and also great inspirational 
benefit. So, uh, you know, is the Mass something separate from prayer? No, it's the highest prayer. Our time of prayer should flow from, uh, from the Mass itself, from the graces received at Mass itself, primarily through the reception of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Rumination, holy rumination, holy reading of the Word of God, also a very prayerful practice. Now, uh, you say, well, you, is there a difference between Jesus and God? Jesus Christ is true God and true man. Uh, we are a Trinitarian people, meaning that we're a theistic people. We believe in one God, not many gods, not not polytheism, which believes in many gods, such as Hinduism, for example, or you know some of the other native religions. But um, we believe in one God. However, that one God has three persons. We absolutely cannot understand this. So God is one, but there are three persons in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And neither, uh, not one of them is greater than the other. Uh, in, in terms of, of, of their personhood, they are all the same uh, in, in terms of, of power, in terms of might, in terms of worth of adoration. So praying to God, uh, the Trinitarian God, is perfectly fine. Speaking specifically to the Son is perfectly fine. Speaking particularly to the Father, perfectly fine. Speaking particularly to the Holy Spirit, perfectly fine fine. Uh, so I hope, you know, I hope that that straightens some things out for you and, and provide you with some food for thought. Uh, you know, here, here's something I do want to share too. And I think this is important to remember anytime that we're talking about the truths of the faith or the mysteries of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you hear that kind of a language, understand that these can be perceived to a certain extent through the intellect, especially if the intellect is enlightened by the spirit of truth, by the Holy Spirit. So God can reveal and does reveal himself to us. And we know that we have the revelation of the Father through the Son. Uh, that is how the Father uh, reveals himself. Jesus says that, you know, when I think it's Philip that asks him, you know, uh, about about the Father. And Jesus says, when you see me, you see the Father, right? So he reveals the Father uh, to us. But uh, all of this being said, th there is, we're only intellectually going to get so far. Even under the light of illumination, we will never exhaust the mystery of God. For all eternity, we will be exploring relationship with God. I, I think it's going to be, you know, a, a, a marvelous, uh, ongoing revelation of the glory, the power, the might, the love of God Himself. That it's the beatific vision, which is inexhaustible. So we sometimes want to try to reason through everything uh, before we believe, but that's foolish. And that's foolhardy because as we say yes, and as we grow in faith, we see more. The Holy Spirit inspires, but he looks for that initial fiat. He looks for that initial movement of faith, right? He, he looks for us to be opening uh, our hearts and our minds to him through an act of desire for him. And when all of that begins to come together, then we grow in faith, we grow in the knowledge of God, we begin to experience those gifts of the Holy Spirit that are mentioned to us in Isaiah. We even can begin to experience some of the gifts that St. Paul talks with us about in, in Ephesians and uh, in Corinthians as well. So I want to encourage you, you know, don't try to think your way through faith. You know, we, we, we walk by faith, not by sight. We are not always going to see, intellectually see, 
uh, the, the, the fullness of truth that we want to see. But the discovery of it as we move forward in a life of faith is thrilling, edifying, and may I just say transforming. So I encourage you, uh, if you're thinking about becoming Catholic, if you're thinking about investigating the church, don't delay, do it. Just move forward and do it. Thank you. That was a very, very good question. I really enjoyed answering it. Thank you so much for it. We always appreciate when you leave a message for us on the call line, which becomes our comment line after 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Again, I remind you that if you say it's for Women of Grace, it'll get segmented that way, and I will receive it directly. So thank you for that. All right, Rich, I think we've still got time to go to somebody else before the bottom of the hour here. Yes, my name is Kendall. My request is is that I'm a Catholic, and I am trying to see what kind of reconciliation I can have because uh, one of my doctors gave me a drug for anxiety, and it took away my short-term memory. And I don't know what I can do about it. Not much. I can't. I can't. uh, I just want some reassurance that uh, God still loves me. I know I can't hear him, but I'm trying to make sure that I'm not left behind. That's what my fear is. I'll be left behind because right now my my short-term memory isn't any good. I mean, I've read most of the Bible, but those are the older newer test or Old Testament. I just want to, you know, have some kind of reassurance that this is going to get to God. You can understand my situation. Thank you. Oh, I'm so sorry that you're suffering in this way. And truly, this is a suffering on so many levels, obviously an emotional level, and we can hear that in your voice. In addition to that, it's a suffering in the, uh, you know, the, the, the situation and the circumstance of daily life uh, when you cannot recall uh, those things that are most important. In addition to that, it's deep spiritual suffering. And I do hear a longing in your heart to be close to God. Now, I want—I do want to reassure you, you are close to God. He's very, very aware of your situation. He knows it. Now, why is it that God permits these things to exist? Why is it that he doesn't, through a miraculous action, heal us? Well, we're going to talk about that when we come back from our break. Uh, and hopefully it will help for us to understand how it is that God can use everything and work all things to the good for those who are called according to his purposes. You're a baptized man. You have been called according to the purposes of God. He is not going to leave you behind. We'll talk a little bit about that too uh, when we come back from the break. So happy to be with you today. We're not taking calls, however. What are we doing? We are answering some of the questions that have been left for us on our comment line. You can use that comment line yourself. I've been telling you how to do it. After 4 p.m. Eastern Time, you can call the call-in number and leave a question for us, and we'll be only too happy to answer it on a day like today. Rich Jesse producing for us. We're going to be right back, inviting you to stay tuned. Transforming the world one woman at a time. Let's return to Women of Grace with Johnette Williams. Welcome back, everybody. So good to be with you today. We certainly do love spending this time with you Monday through Friday, discussing issues of importance to your life and your faith. Today, we are not taking phone calls. We are going to the comment calls that have been left for us. 
boy, we have a lot of them. Uh, we're making our way through them, and I hope that perhaps one of them is yours. Uh, and if not, that what we're discussing by way of these questions is of value to you. We always do look forward to spending this time with you. I uh, do want to remind you to check out our website, womenofgrace.com. We have all kinds of things that are coming up. Uh, I am going to be in uh, in uh, Fort Myers, Florida, coming up this month, speaking at a beautiful opportunity that's going to be made available for women right there uh, at St. John 23rd Catholic Church. Check it out on our website. I am also going to be in State College, PA. I can't wait for that. <laughs> I have to tell you, very excited about that. I graduated from Penn State, and gee, I, I have not been on campus uh, there for, oh golly, gee, it's got to be three decades anyway, maybe more than that. So I am eager to see what the campus looks like at this point in time. But we're going to be at Our Lady of Victory Catholic Church there. Going to be a wonderful opportunity. The information is right there at our website, womenofgrace.com. All kinds of other things happening as well. So please get out there and check it out. Join us if you can somewhere. We look forward to it. So prior to the break, uh, we uh, took a call from a gentleman who... uh, apparently has lost his short-term memory due to a drug that his doctor prescribed for him for anxiety. And he's concerned uh, because he, he cannot recall. And his memory uh, has been affected to such an extent that even that which he's read in the past is not immediately accessible to him. His faith means a lot. He's feeling as though maybe God has forgotten him. And so prior to the break, I was responding uh, to, uh, to his query, has God forgotten him? And I was sharing with you that, you know, we oftentimes ask the question, why does God permit these things to happen? And I think that we're very quick to rush to judgment and think it's because we've done something wrong. Uh, We work off of a false notion of God's love and mercy for us. Now, oftentimes, he will let us experience the consequences of sins that we've committed, right? Uh, Those consequences belong to us. We've chosen the consequences when we choose the sin. And that's the fact of the matter. But this God is a God of reconciliation. This God is a God of mercy. This God is a God of, of eternal forgiveness. His mercy endures forever, it says in sacred scripture. So there's nothing that you can do for which God will not forgive you. Nothing, nothing whatsoever. And I want you to hear that. That's an absolute statement. And I mean for it to be absolute. There is nothing that you can do that God will not forgive you for. You need to ask for his forgiveness so you can receive that mercy into your own being. So if if these difficult moments in life occur and it's not punishment, then why does it happen? Well, as we say often here on Women of Grace, it's because we live in a broken and fallen world. It's the residual effect of original sin. Original sin filed up the works. It filed them up. Uh, it, it followed up the relationship that God had with man. It followed up the relationship that man had with man. Uh, it followed up the relationship with the created order. And so we become subject now to the consequences of original sin. Uh, But God gives us the grace that we need to make it through all of the vicissitudes of life, every single one of them, even this issue uh, with your short-term memory. God gives us the grace. And what he does with suffering, uh, we see by way of, of the passion, death, and resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wins the victory over it. 
by way of the passion of our Lord, our suffering can become a redeeming factor in our life, not by our own effort, but by the fact that God in some way has left open this eternal sacrifice of his son so that we can dip into it and participate in it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. What does St. Paul write? He says, For I make up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. Does he mean that that suffering of our Lord was in some way lacking? No, he doesn't mean that at all. What he means is God, in his gratuitous mercy, wants us to participate in the greatest action that has ever taken place, and that's the redemption of man. And when we willfully and intentionally unite our suffering to the suffering of Christ, when we give fiat to that suffering and we attach it to the cross of our Lord, great things can happen for us and for others. Now, it's completely within God's power and might to reverse the ill effects of this drug that you've taken. Will he do that? I don't know. That depends upon God's will of good pleasure for you. And what do we mean by that? That depends upon how it is that Father God sees that your salvation can best be attained. If all salvation was attained through suffering and death, then our own suffering and death can lead, can lead to salvation. Only in reference to Jesus Christ, however, only in suffering with Jesus in our passion. So I hope that that helps you. It's a very deep concept. A little bit earlier on, we were talking about why be Catholic. The Catholic Church is the only church that has a theology of suffering, that understands the movement and the work of God in the midst of suffering. Theology is what? The study of God. When we talk about a theology of uh, suffering, what are we talking about? It's the studying of God in suffering. Buddhists want to omit all suffering. And to do so, what do they do? They begin to dull all of the emotions. Hindus believe in reincarnation, uh, a perpetual uh, rebirth until such time as as their own divinity is realized, which of course we know is, is not the way it goes. Many of the Protestant denominations will repudiate the suffering that comes by way of life, blaming it on not having enough faith to be healed. We see that even in the fact that the corpus is removed from the cross. But the Catholic Church understands that passion and that death of our Lord and understands, gives us a way that our own suffering can be attached to his suffering, teaches us how to do that that the great treasures that can come by way of suffering can be mined by us and experienced by us. How many of the saints demonstrated heroic virtue by way of the cross that was entrusted to them? This, my friend, is a cross for you. Rather than asking why, just ask how. How, Lord, can I mine the treasure of grace that is wrapped up in this affliction. How can I do that for your honor, for your glory, for the salvation of souls?
when we change our perspective and allow the light of the Holy Spirit to invade our consciousness and illuminate our heart and our soul, absolutely marvelous things happen. Grace flows. And we're encouraged. We're relieved. We're alleviated. Just a word about left behind. Um, You know, I don't know if you use that just meaning that God will forget about you, right? Or if you used it in the sense of the rapture, um, you know, where one will be taken and one will be left behind. And of course, there was a book that was written by that title some years ago that was quite popular. The Catholic Church doesn't teach anything about the rapture. The rapture is not biblical. It's a concept that came around in the 1800s, you know, a whole kind of... um, which I want to call it uh, uh, theory, maybe, of the end times uh, has arisen as a result of that. But the Catholic Church doesn't teach about the end times. There's no word that it says that's going to happen. It says what's going to happen is, you know, it is it is ordered to man to live once, die, and then the judgment. So we're going to have a particular judgment. And then Jesus is going to come back again, and we will have a general judgment. What's going to happen in the interim? We don't really know. Uh, We know that there's going to be a time of tribulation. Every day and time has its time of tribulation. There's likely to be a time of great tribulation. Uh, We do have indication about that in sacred scripture. But rather than worrying about such matters, let's do what it is that we can do today to live our life fully in Christ Jesus. Let's do what it is that we can do today to be ready if he should come, boom, in the next second and take our life right? And say, no, now is the perfect time for you. Boom, I'm going to take you. Let us be found ready. Uh, there's that beautiful parable that Jesus gives us about the, the, the virgins, you know, and, and having oil for their lamp. They missed the time of their visitation. We don't want to miss the time of our visitation, and we don't want to be unprepared for the time of our final <laughs> visitation, right? Uh, so let's, let's do what we can with what we've got, right? You use your memory, sir, to the best that you possibly can, uh, uh, knowing that God sees, understands, and he, in his infinite love and mercy, makes up for the lack. God bless you now. I hope that helps you. All right, let's go on to the next call there, Rich. My name is Maria from Galveston, Texas. Uh, my question is, can you please explain about the communion of saints? I am Catholic, but I never actually really understood. I prayed all the time in the creed, but once the communion of faith, yeah, that's what I wanted to know. <laughs> well, good, Maria. <laughs> We're going to try to answer that question for you. Uh, The communion of saints is a doctrine of our faith. It's something that we believe in. Uh, And you're right. We say it in the creed. We say it in in the Nicene Creed that that we generally uh, uh, proclaim at Mass on Sunday. We also say it in the Apostles' Creed, uh, a prayer that begins the rosary and a prayer that we can pray at any time. I love to pray the Apostles' Creed. I love to stop along the way and meditate and open myself up to the mysteries that I am professing I believe in. So in that last phrase down there, uh, I believe uh, uh, in uh, we, you know, the, the Apostles' Creed, um, I believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life to come and the uh, life in the world to come. That's the very last part. But we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints right? The resurrection of the dead and everlasting life, life everlasting, right? So we, we, we profess 
that we believe in the communion of saints. So what is the communion of saints? Well, I always like to refer us to uh, the catechism because the catechism does give us all of the answers to these questions. So I am pulling my catechism out right now as I speak. And I want to encourage you, if you don't have a catechism, you're going to want to get a catechism. You know, uh, you can get one at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. I like to call it the home of holy reminders in memory of Mother Angelica, who encouraged us to have holy reminders in our home. We also want to have holy resources in our home that help for us, right, to understand these truths of the faith. Because once we open ourselves up to the reality of them uh, and and ask the Lord to take us into these mysteries, things um, really begin to percolate, if you will. So in this particular uh, catechism that I have, it's very handy because there's a glossary in the back. And I've opened it up, and it gives us a definition for the communion of saints, and it also tells us where we can go in the catechism to read more about it. But here's the definition it gives. It states the unity, the community of saints is the unity in Christ of all the redeemed, those on earth and those who have died. The communion of saints is professed in the Apostles' Creed, where it has also been interpreted to refer to unity in holy things, especially the unity of faith and charity achieved through participation in the Eucharist. Uh, So the communion of saints consists of the church triumphant, that's all of the saints in heaven, the church suffering, holy souls in purgatory, and then also the uh, church militant, that's the church that remains here on earth. We are connected uh, with an invisible, uh, uh, what do I want to say, an invisible thread. Uh, And this is why we can pray to the saints. This is why we can ask for their intercession This is why we can pray for the holy souls in purgatory and ask the holy souls to pray for us. And this obviously is why we can pray for each other here on earth. So that's the communion of saints. What does communion mean? If you take it apart, it's with union, with union. So we are with union with the saints in heaven, the holy souls in purgatory, and those of us on the face of the earth. So there you have it. I hope that that helps you, Maria. God bless you. Okay. Let's go to the next one, Rich. Does the church ever teach that the Blessed Virgin conceived Jesus and he was fully human and fully divine? Therefore, did he have the Virgin's DNA, her blood? Therefore, Mary would be in Christ, who is God, and therefore the true mother of humanity. Thank you. Well, yes. Uh, The short answer to that is yes. Obviously, Jesus clothed himself in the flesh of Mary. There was no natural father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So, the only contributor to the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ in the sense of flesh, the human body, was our Blessed Mother. And so, yes, you know, her DNA, you know, would be, I don't know how DNA works exactly, but I would assume that there would be, you know, a a realized uh, physical uh, application of that. I do know something that's very interesting, that when a woman is pregnant, the DNA of her child is imprinted on her womb. That is a scientific fact. So you might think about that also in reference to Our Lady and Jesus. Jesus' DNA uh, 
was printed on Mary. So Mary as the mother of all humanity, well, don't we sort of know that? Uh, remember that Mary, uh, that, that Eve uh, was called by Adam, Eve, uh, which signified that she was mother of all the living, right? But the Blessed Virgin Mary is the new Eve, and she is the mother of all humanity according to grace, right? Not according to flesh, but according to grace. So she indeed is the mother of all humanity according to grace. When we're baptized in Christ Jesus, Mary becomes our mother, our spiritual mother. But in a certain sense, because that potentiality exists for every human person, we can say that Mary is the mother of humanity. Uh, it is a very, very interesting question. Um, and I think that uh, as we continue to uh, unveil more scientifically, as we're given the light to do that, we begin to see the, the amazing, amazing connection that we have, both with our Lord Jesus Christ and with our Blessed Lady. Uh, and we begin to see the amazing way in which we are created in the image and likeness of God. So thank you for your call today. That was a very interesting question. I don't think I've ever been asked that question before, but I do thank you for it. Let's move forward to the next, uh, next question that was left for us. Hi, this is Christine from Florida. My question is, do we really care a lot about people finding out all of the things that we've done in our lifetime at the last judgment? Because from there, we're either going to go into heaven where we're going to be happy forever, or we're going to go to hell where we're going to be miserable forever. But that somebody else knows what you did is that really going to be important? Thank you. Well, there's an interesting question, too. <laughs> you know, you're talking about the final judgment when Jesus comes back, and it says, you know, what's been hidden in the darkness is going to be revealed in the light of day. And so the question is, you know, do we really care about it? Um, I, I really don't care about it. You know, I mean, we're going to see the, the, the sheep separated from the goats, you know, the wheat from the tares. We're going to see that happening. We're going to experience that. Um, when I say I don't care about it, the point is, 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 it, is it going to, you know, embarrass me for everybody to see every sin that I committed? I, I don't think that we're going to be in that kind of a state of mind at all. Um, you know, our Lord is going to be there. Uh, we will have already received our particular judgment. And I'm not really quite certain how that works. If the sins have been absolved, uh, you know, it says in sacred scripture that so far from the uh, east is from the west, does God put our sin from us when we repent? So I'm really not sure... Uh, and, and maybe one of the theologians on the air, uh, uh, Dr. And Anders, for example, or, uh, or uh, Father Mitch Pock, or one of the other priests that's on uh, uh, open line, uh, would be able to answer this more clearly. Uh, I don't know if, if the sin has been absolved, if that sin is going to be seen. But I will tell you what it can serve as. It can certainly serve as a deterrent. If, if for no other reason, the fear of such punishment, uh, which is an imperfect contrition and an imperfect reason for not committing sin, we don't want to commit sin because we don't want to offend God, and a perfect contrition is the regret that we have offended God, but nonetheless, it can serve as a deterrent. 
You know, okay, so if everybody in the world is going to see this cinnamine, mm, is it really worth committing, right? So uh, in, in that respect, uh, there is that. But, um, you know, I think that our concern for human respect is going to be nullified at that moment. I don't think that we're going to care a whole lot about it. Uh, so that's the way that I would answer it. Uh, I'll tell you, <clears throat> Father uh, Wade Menezes has written a very good book, very readable book, and a very helpful book on uh, on the last things, the four last things: <clears throat> death, judgment, heaven, or hell. Uh, and it might it might behoove you to read a book uh, that's written about that, or to also uh, dip into the Catechism and do a little exploration about that. Uh, but thank you again for that question. And uh, where are we in time, Rich? Do we have time for another one? Hi, my name is Penny, and I'm calling from Great Falls, Montana. And my brother committed suicide at 15. And I don't know if he, he was baptized Catholic, but I don't know where he stood um, as far as God is concerned. Um is there anything or prayer I can say for him to help him be in the right place with God? Um, thank you. Well, thank you so very much. And I'm very, very sorry for your loss. And I know that when it comes to suicide, this is a, uh, you know, a, a very difficult death of a loved one to experience. There's always the question, could I have done something? Could I have done more? Holy Mother Church tells us that when someone commits suicide, in most cases, this person is suffering um, from a deep depression or a psychological or mental uh, situation for which uh, the, 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 um, you know, their concupiscence, their, their capacity to judge rightly um, is gone, and so therefore the, the, the level of sin, their, their, uh, their guilt level, is lessened as a result of that. You can pray for your brother, and I would encourage you to pray for your brother. Pray for his soul. Uh, God will take that, all of the prayers that you pray in time, and apply it to that moment. And Jesus told St. Faustina that he gives every soul three opportunities to say yes to him, and even if the soul glances in his direction, he takes it for a yes. Be at peace, but pray. Thank you so much for being with us today. Certainly did. Uh, culpability was the word I was searching for there. Certainly did enjoy being with you. God bless you now. Bye-bye. <laughs>